Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know about me teaching you guys. I think I still have so much to learn from what you guys are doing. I'm so encouraged constantly by uh, what you guys are doing here on the coast and uh, always love checking in on Instagram and seeing everything you guys are accomplishing. Um, But I just want to honor my parents, uh, Pastor Ed and Gail, these guys. Let's give it up for them. What they've built here, 30 years, 31 this year, right? 31 years of doing this. Incredible. And uh, you guys are so blessed to, uh, to live here. Um, like you said, me and Selena, we arrived, or Selena and I, my mom will correct me on that, uh, <laughs> arrived on Friday uh, from New York City, which is where we are. Uh, we're a part of an incredible church out there, uh, C3MYC, under Pastor Josh and Georgie Kelsey. And I tell you what, God is moving in New York and, and all over the world, not just in New York, but in uh, Paris, and we've got a few other locations on the rise. But yeah, we arrived on Friday, and man, that is just such a long flight, and we never get, I never get used to that flight. Um, I don't know why it takes so long. I feel like it could have taken shorter. I feel like, have you guys heard about this whole flat earth thing? Has anyone heard about this? I know a lot of you are looking at me like, flat earth, this is like you know, 400 years old. Uh, But no, this is on the rise again, believe it or not. Some of you are looking at me very angry right now, Um, but I'm not even lying. If you want to waste an entire evening sometime this week, go on YouTube. And uh, I made this mistake. I don't know if you guys have ever gone down a a YouTube rabbit hole before, Um, but it's it's very easy to do. Um, You know, you could just be on there searching for anything, looking at sermons, looking at something, and then that little sidebar, you know, that little demonic sidebar that gives you (laughs) suggestions you didn't ask for. Um, And then, you know, within a matter of minutes, you're looking at, you know, you go from watching an elevation sermon to suddenly you're watching a video called Who Would Win in a Fight Between a Dragon and Apache Helicopter. And... (laughs) Anyway, I saw a thing on there once about flat earth, and I was like, this can't be real. And uh, it was like 11.45 at night, and I was like, should I click on this? And uh, no, the answer is always no, absolutely, Dad. Um, I should have had an herbal tea, gone to bed, read a book. Uh, but no, I clicked on that um, because, you know, in my head I'm thinking, this will, I can dispel this in minutes. They've got an answer for everything, though. Um, and it's infuriating. What, what's most infuriating to me about it, though, is, you know, in their theory, you know, this is a, a we're on a disc. Australia is only like 35 minutes from everything else. Wow. It's not on the bottom. It's right next to everything. But to maintain the uh, facade of the globe that they want you to believe, this is real, by the way, this is what this movement really believes, and there's a lot of people involved in this movement, um, and uh, they believe to, to maintain this facade, uh, they make the pilots, I guess, fly in circles or something for like 14 hours, which is absolutely infuriating to me. 
because I'm already like angry most of the time getting on these flights. And now I have one more thing to be mad about uh, when it comes to these airlines. Like, just take us there, man. We won't tell anyone. We won't tell anyone about this flat earth thing. Who wins in that anyway? I don't understand why they're keeping that from us, you know? They've got, they call it Big Globe. Big Globe is the organization that's trying to keep us under the, under the blanket. Isn't that insane? Who wins? There's a couple of guys who are like, you and me know that it's flat. But what if we can convince them? that it's round. Who wins? No one wins in that. That's absurd. I don't like flying. I've flown too much in my life, and it's kind of wore off on me, but um, there's one airline that I don't fly with anymore. Um, I won't name them, but for the sake of this analogy, we'll just call it Jetstar. And I <laughs> don't... They, my name in their system is, uh, is Mitch Luther... Um, but on my passport and my driver's license, it says Mitchell Luther. Um, and you can't change it in their system. You can't. I tried. I asked them. And they said, no, we can't do it. And I was like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know where we go from here then. Who can change it? Is that why we call senators? I don't know. And so uh, they said you need a mail-in a birth certificate, which is absolutely absurd. Uh, I'm not going to do that. I don't like, I've mailed like four things in my life and that whole thing terrifies me. Um, and, you know, I've run into this problem w- one time and, and the gentleman sees the ticket, then sees my ID and goes, this, we, we've got a, this is a problem. And uh, these are, uh, these names don't match up. These these names aren't the same. And I and I said, but they are. They are the same. You can. And uh, he said, no, these aren't the same names, and they are the same names. You can, you can see uh, how we made the leap here, from Mitch to to Mitchell. It's not. And uh, and he's he's not relenting. I, I, I don't know where we go from there. Uh, you know, he tried to empathize with me. He said, look, you know, my name, I understand where you're coming from. My name is Joseph. I can't use my nickname, Bart, on my, and I'm like looking at him like that's not even nearly the same thing. I asked him what we should do here to move forward. He told me to, I should just go home. <laughs> And uh, that was the last time I ever dealt with that situation. Safe to say, uh, I'm glad to be here and not up in the air right now. Um, But this morning, I really want to encourage you guys um, on something that's really been weighing on me since 2019. 2019, I don't know about you guys, it really just kicked me in the butt. I don't know what it was about 2019, but I felt like I was just, just redlining that entire year and still not making any headway. Uh, in my own life and and still felt like I was constantly failing uh, despite giving it everything I had. And failure is something that I I think our generation uh, tries to avoid at all costs, or perhaps every generation. I don't know. I've never lived in any other generations. But failure is not a word that we like to associate ourselves with. It's not something we strive for. 
uh, is, is failure. But uh, what I, what my goal is this morning is to maybe try and help you see uh, the purpose of failure and the joy in failure. And, and my question here, and this is a question I think maybe we all have asked ourselves as believers, um, and if you're not uh, a believer, if you're not a Christian, uh, that's okay. This is probably a question that you ask other people who are perhaps religious or spiritual. If God is a miracle worker, then why doesn't he make it a little bit easier for us? Why do we fail? If God is so good and, and can do all things, then why do we fail? And, and here's the thing is, the more I read the Bible, the more I see a narrative not too dissimilar from my generation, uh, you know, which is a lot of very overambitious, perhaps, uh, young people, young zealots, people with a lot of potential. And the more I read it, the more I see that the, the mismanagement of success is usually the leading cause of failure. And on the flip side of that, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize that the right management of failure is the leading cause of success. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Does that sound good? Lord, I just thank you right now for everyone here and everyone not here. God, I just thank you for this opportunity we have to come here. This, this time we've all carved out to receive from you. I just pray that you will eliminate ruthlessly any ego, any pride in ourselves that might be blocking your seed from being planted, that we might learn something to take with us and, and change this world together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to read from Second uh, Kings 13, verse 14. And it says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and horsemen of Israel, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did. So, take the bow in your hands, he said to the king. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory. Everyone say, the Lord's arrow of victory. The arrow of victory over Aram. Elisha declared, you will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them, and Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and then stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Then Elisha died. Have you ever stopped short of your goal? Or maybe put it a different way, have you ever felt like you've, you've fallen short of your purpose? Maybe you, 
you, you've stopped just short of the, of the peak of the mountain that you were climbing. Uh, before I moved to New York, I lived in uh, Seattle, Washington. And uh, there's a mountain in Seattle, Mount Rainier. It's a beautiful mountain. It's the third largest, third, third biggest uh, mountain in America. It's a good one um, if you go, if you ever get the chance to go. Um, I don't know who number one or number two are, um, but uh, maybe someday Mount Rainier will be number one. I don't know. Do mountains ever stop growing? We don't know that yet, do we? Um, so uh, <laughs> it's a good mountain to go up if you ever get the chance. Uh, it's not a free mountain. You have to pay to go up it. Someone, someone bought it, I guess, and is selling tickets. I don't know how that works, but it's, uh, it's not a free mountain. Um, you, have to, you have to pay to go up it. And uh, at the time, this was a few years ago, uh, some of you guys know my story, but at the time I was definitely not at all walking with God. And a few of my friends, we went up there to do some questionable things. And we were up there and I, uh, I was a heavy smoker at the time uh, and was not about to pay to go up this mountain. I was totally okay with uh, waiting in the car or maybe just driving up. You can drive pretty far up it, and it's a, a fantastic view. I didn't need to pay the 30 bucks or whatever to go all the way to the top. So we get out of the car. We're walking up a little bit, and, uh, you know, a couple walks down the, the side of the mountain. They, they set, uh, they're walking down, and, and so I'm like, hey, like, do we need to go up to the top of the mountain? Like, is this, like, we're not looking to live here. You know, we can just, is this enough? You know, and, and this woman, she goes, well, I'm 81 years old, and I did it. And I was like, well, I mean, maybe that's why you didn't hear the question that I just asked. Is this really necessary for me to come up here? There was, well, people are always cocky coming down the mountain, though. That's the thing. There were people with babies strapped to their chest. I was like, why would you carry that? I left my wallet in the car, and you are carrying a baby up there. I didn't end up going up that mountain, and I do regret going up the mountain, uh, not going up the mountain, and I'm, I'm going to make a comeback at some point, but I feel like there are so many moments in our lives when we're, we, we have a calling, we have a moment, uh, and we have a, a purpose and a direction, and then we stop just short of it, and then we, we, we get confused, so the, the context of this scripture here is Elisha was about to die, and this new king had one last chance to get a word from God. It says, now Elisha had been suffering from the illness which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. Now, I can understand why the king wept here, because he was losing something very, very significant. You see, Elisha was Israel's defense system. He was how the nation would hear from God and how they would protect themselves against the attacks. He could tell them when the enemy was going to attack so that they could be ready for it. Note, real quick, that it did not prevent the attack from happening, but it did provide the strength to withstand the attack. Just a side note. Sometimes I think we get confused about the provision of God. We believe that the provision of God will mean the prevention of problems. And 
that's not how God ever has operated. A lot of times when we're asking God to provide a life uh, without problems uh, and, and, and we're asking for provision, more often than not, I think we're going to God asking him to provide a life where he is no longer necessary. Um, but that's just a side note. That's not the sermon. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and the horsemen of Israel, Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. Now, a window here represents your perspective. Because sometimes what you're looking through is just as important as what you're looking at. He said, open the east window. What you're looking through is sometimes just as important as what you're looking at. Here, I can prove this. I don't even need the Bible. Dad, can I borrow your glasses real quick? So I can see you guys just fine right now. And then as soon as, wow, you've got serious problems. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. See, you guys haven't changed. My circumstances haven't changed in the slightest. But now I have a headache. What you're look thanks, Dad. What you're looking through is just as important as what you're looking at. He said, "Open the east window." And he said, "Shoot." And then he shot the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. Notice that it's the Lord's arrow of victory, but he puts it in our hands. And he promises him the victory. You will completely destroy. You will completely destroy the Arameans. It's the Lord's our victory, and he puts it in our hands. And he's given us the victory already. But we're the ones that have to take the shot still. It's interesting, isn't it? Then he said, take the arrows, plural. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times, and then he stopped. Now, that seems pretty reasonable. How many times are we going to strike the ground? He struck it three times. That's about how many I would have struck it, perhaps. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. Now, at this point, I'm annoyed because... I like to put myself in these Bible stories. And if I'm the king, I'm not taking responsibility for that. That's absolutely absurd, Elijah. You never clarified exactly how many times I was supposed to strike the ground. He says, strike the ground. And then he struck it three times. That's probably two more than I would have struck it. (laughs) And then looked up to be like, do I keep going? Like, everyone around is looking at me weird. And Elisha's angry. I don't know, maybe it's just because he didn't have a whole lot of time left. He was literally seconds away from dying, you know, so he's angry. And he says, you, you should have, and then you would have. That's a pretty horrible place to live. But how many times has God told us to strike the ground, but then he hasn't told us to stop striking the ground? And then we blame him for stopping short of the victory. 
That's what I would have done in that situation. I'd be like, no, 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 you cannot blame me for that. You didn't tell me exactly how many times to strike the ground, Elisha. But today my goal is to reshape how you see this word called failure. I want to talk a little bit uh, about a few different things. The first is learning through failure. Because see, failure is a really good teacher. It really is. But only if you are a really good student. And that's key. Sometimes we ask God for a better life. But then when he sends correction, when he sends opportunity in the form of correction perhaps, instead of someone just telling us how good we are, we get offended and then we quit and we stop short of the victory. And see, this is where failure becomes a gift because failure, when used as a tool and received with humility, can be exactly the opportunity for growth that you've been praying for. But you cannot learn something that you think you already know. That seems very basic, but you'd be surprised how many people don't understand that simple context. You cannot get better at something if you believe you're already the best. In fitness culture, failure is a very, very important part of performance. In fitness culture, people actually strive for failure because if they don't strive for failure, then their body has no reason to improve. If you go into the gym or you go onto the track and your goal is to get faster or stronger, but you don't push yourself to the point where your body actually has to improve, then it won't improve. It has no reason to. And so in fitness culture, that's something that you will hear a lot is go until failure. It's usually on the last set. Once you've, once you've hit all your other goals in the workout, you want to try for failure on this one. How many reps do I do on this one? Go until failure. That's something that is very common. When I was a personal trainer in Seattle, that was something that was always a frustrating part of the client relationship was because people want to know, well, how much longer do I have of this? Or how many more reps do you want me to do? And so I can understand the king's frustration here when he starts striking and he doesn't know how many times he needs to strike. But the point that Elisha, I think, is trying to get across is just keep, use all of it, man. Go until failure. And when you start seeing failure as something to strive for, you stop fearing failure. Did you, did you ever think that sometimes the, uh, the circumstances God that you're, you're, you're asking God to change are the exact same circumstances God is using to change you. It's such an important part of, of our growth as, as human beings is this concept of failure. Even if you're not a Christian, even in, in, in just secular science, it's just part of the growing process. Not only can we learn from our own failures, but we can learn from the mistakes of others. The king, he was told, 
to strike the ground, but he was not told to stop striking. He had all the tools that he needed. He had the direction to point those tools, and he had all of the direction of God to execute what he was told to do, to see the victory. And how many times have we been given everything we need, all the tools are in place, we have the arrow that we're supposed to fire out the window, we have the window, we have the direction to go, and then we have the, the actual command and the, and the, the rules to, to execute, but then we, we fall short, we stop short of our potential. And if we don't learn from failure or embrace failure, the natural response is going to be to fear failure, which is what a lot of us do. And the reason we fear failure is more often than not ego or pride. We don't want to fail because we think it's embarrassing. We don't want other people to, to see that. In the gym, it's no different. The people I find that don't see results in any gym situation are the ones that are so concerned about what everyone else thinks about them that they never actually push their body to a point where it's going to respond. They're so worried that people are going to judge them for the way they look or the weight that they're lifting. People, people especially men, are so afraid that, oh, I don't want people to see me lifting he- like light weights. You know, so they, they'll either try and lift heavier weights than they can and they'll hurt themselves, or they just won't do that workout at all. They'll do something where they can stack on more weight, but it's a little bit easier so that they can do what's called ego lifting. And those guys, they don't see results because they're not willing to fail. The guys that I see with the biggest muscles in the gym usually are lifting the the lightest weights. And they're going to the point where they can barely even lift that weight anymore. And it looks ridiculous because you see a guy who's 220 pounds of pure muscle and he's struggling to get these tiny dumbbells up. But what he understands is that the next time he comes in, it, he's going to be so much stronger and look so much better. So he doesn't care what people think about the weight he's lifting. And fear is simply caused by ego in this regard. But a person who indulges in empty fears ends up earning themselves real fears. That's always how it happens. In a, in a frenzy to protect itself, paranoia ends up creating the persecution that it seeks to avoid. How many of, how many of you guys know that, that that's the case? You, you start being afraid of things that aren't reality. They start becoming reality to you. It's... It's not a road that I ever want to go down. But what does the Bible teach about how we should approach life's challenges? Well, I want to talk about rejoicing in failure. That sounds like an oxymoron. But Luke 8, 22, and we don't have that on the screen, but I'm just going to summarize it for you. Basically, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's get in a boat and go across the other side of the lake. Sounds simple enough. And for those of you who know the story, they get in the boat, Jesus falls asleep, this giant storm comes along, everyone in the boat is terrified, and 
absolutely convinced they're going to die. And they're looking at Jesus. Jesus is fast asleep in this boat, getting soaking wet and, and still asleep. And they are crying out to him in fear. Why have you forsaken us? And then Jesus gets up and rebukes the storm and everything's all good, right? And it's an interesting story because either Jesus didn't know there was going to be a big storm or he sent them across the other side knowing full well that there would be danger. Those are the two options there. Because he didn't get up from, the, from sleeping and be like, oh my God, guys, I'm so sorry. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I didn't check the weather. I've just been so slammed at the moment, as you guys have seen. It's just had a lot on my mind right now. But that won't happen again. No, he got up and he was actually mad at them. He was like, why are you guys so afraid? He knew full well. And this says a few things uh, in it. It shows us something very important. It says, that, it says that God isn't afraid to get into the mess with us. Do you think that God knows we're going to face hard times? Absolutely. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that I've never really liked very much. And it says, James 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What kind of... Thanks, Siri. <laughs> Rude. This has really always frustrated me and bothered me, this scripture. I like it in the, uh, in the message, trans, uh, not message, the, the passion translation. My dad bought me this yesterday, and I was reading this this morning, and it says it so poetically as, uh, as it does. And it says, My fellow believers... When it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. That's it, isn't it? That's, that's why challenges and persecution and even failure can be seen as pure joy. Because when you walk into it understanding what James is talking about here, an opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can, for you know when your faith is tested, it stirs up power. When your faith is tested, it stirs up power to endure all things. So that's what you know is going to happen. God gave the king the promise, the victory. This is what's going to happen. You will be able to endure all things. And as you grow, as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. This is the promise that you have from God. And so when you see persecution, when you see challenges, when you see failure in your horizon then it becomes something to run towards. Because you know, just as bodybuilders know, just as athletes know, that if you strive for failure, what's on the other side of that is growth and strength. So that's, that becomes a target then to run through. 
you start going, oh, I need this. Because if you stay on the other side of that in complacency and comfort and safety, then you just become a lazy and complacent person who has no strength to endure even the, the slightest. And so, so you, you begin to crave these challenges. Your capacity for growth is directly related to how much room you've made to receive. See, God is not afraid to get into these messes with us. That's the thing. Jesus was in the boat. They weren't facing this, this challenge alone. You're not facing, whatever you're facing right now, you're not facing it alone. It's okay to fail when Jesus is in the boat with you. But the bigger the purpose on your life, the messier the process The higher the calling on your life, the higher the climb, the deeper the valley, the deeper the relationship God wants to form with you, and the deeper your capacity to be filled up. I like to accept hardship the way that Jesus did, or I try to at least, as a pathway to victory. To take as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. See, we might think that happiness is a life lived without failure, but Jesus teaches that happiness isn't the result of circumstances, but of character and communion with him, despite the storm. Lake Tahoe is a, uh, a lake in California, in the States. I've never been there, but from what I've seen, it's very beautiful. And it doesn't look that big, but I read a very interesting fact about it the other day has an average depth of 990 feet. Now, Lake Tahoe doesn't, it really, like, it's big, but it doesn't look this big. 990 feet is a very deep place. And it has 39 trillion gallons of icy water in it. So I did the math here. If you could pour all the water out in Lake Tahoe over the whole state of Queensland, it would cover the entire state with four inches of water. And when you see Lake Tahoe, it doesn't look like it could nearly hold enough water to cover. Queensland is big. Queensland is like the size of Texas. Bigger than Texas. There you go. And so what I realized from this is that the depth of our character determines the breadth of our influence. You can't see how deep your character is until God pours you out. We will never see how deep Lake Tahoe is or even the breadth of of its influence unless we were to pour it out over the state of Queensland. Then we would see, wow, that's a pretty deep lake. (laughs) Sometimes you can't see your true potential until there's nothing left in the tank. So why did Elisha say you should have struck five or six times? Why not nine or ten? That's a question I always ask. It's a question you're probably asking right now. Seems like an arbitrary number, five or six times. Why not 11 or 12 times, Elisha? Answer me. (laughs) Here's the thing. He tells the king to fire one arrow, singular, out the window. Then he says, take the arrows, Plural, and strike the ground. So I feel like 
He wasn't angry because the king was, you know, striking and then stopped striking despite a, a severe lack of instruction and clarification on Elisha's side. He was angry because the king wasn't using everything that he had. The king still had something in the tank. He wanted the king to keep striking with every arrow until he had no more arrows left. Failure isn't falling short despite giving it all we have. Failure is stopping short despite having exactly what we need. And let me tell you something. The pain of stopping short far outweighs the pain of falling short. When you see what could have been if you had have just not been afraid of failing, that feeling is so much worse than the feeling of giving it everything you've, ha- you've got and then still failing regardless. So if I could give one word to everyone here this morning, it would be to use every arrow. Use every arrow. Don't leave anything left in the tank. When you follow Jesus, you always get back more than you give up. The good news is if you stop striking, there's nothing stopping, stopping you from picking up the arrow. And the, and the window is still open. Watch what happens right after this. In verse 20, Elisha died and was buried, buried, buried. Elisha died and was buried. Now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring, potentially for splendor in the grass, Byron Bay. Once in a while, uh, once while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones the man came to life and stood up on his feet. It's a weird story to throw in right after this whole arrow situation, isn't it? See, what sometimes looks like the end isn't actually the end. What sometimes looks like a graveyard for your dreams is actually a place God is using to resurrect your purpose. Jesus is my favorite example of this. Because Jesus looked like a pretty massive failure to everybody around him. We don't see it that way now because we know the end of the story and we understand the concept and we grew up hearing this our whole lives. But to these guys... It was a completely different situation because for the disciples and all the thousands of people that had followed Jesus for the past three years before his crucifixion, they were under the impression he was the messianic king that they'd heard was coming for the last few thousand years in all of their stories and all their campfires and all of their, their, their bedtime tales and, and mythologies told by their forefathers. This was it for them. 
They had suffered the rule and the tyranny of oppressive empire after oppressive empire, and they're waiting for this messianic king to come and deliver them from slavery. And Jesus shows up, and they're very skeptical because they're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. This guy's washing people's feet and, you know, walking around everywhere and and you know, talking to children and, and talking to women and giving women uh, positions of, of, of authority and giving them opportunities. This guy was, was, was rattling change and, 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 and changing a generation, but they believed in him because they saw these miracles he was doing. They're like, okay, let's give this guy a shot, right? And the disciples, they believed all of it. And they're hearing these stories and they're going through all of this and they're watching him rebuke the storms and raise Lazarus from the dead and, and heal the lepers and, 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 and stand up against religion and oppression and flip tables. And they're, they're on board with this whole messianic king thing. And then they watch him get murdered and crucified and buried and put into the ground. Talk about your dreams getting crushed. And if you read the Gospels, none of them were like, it's fine, he's coming back in three days. Even though Jesus was very explicit, I'm coming back in three days. He told them. He told them. He told them so many times, I have to die. I'm going to be back. And they were like, okay, this is obviously one of your metaphors, one of your weird parables, Jesus, but we'll go along with it, because every time we ask what the parables mean, you make us feel a bit silly. So we're going to just go ahead and take your word for it. Three days, sure. Let's see what that means. Oh, he's dead. And they're watching him on the cross, and they're like, well, this is not at all what we expected. And they all get together. They're all afraid. They're, they're next, as far as they're concerned. They don't think he's coming back. What they failed to realize is that the Bible describes Jesus not just as the messianic king, but also as the seed. And how many of you guys know what happens when you put a seed in the ground? Mm. When you put a seed in the ground, it grows. See, when you go all in, when you take all your arrows, and instead of doing what the, what the world says to do with those arrows, you start doing something that looks counterintuitive. You start smashing the ground with them. Doesn't make any sense. When you take your money and you start giving it away to people for no reason or giving it to a church or being kind to people when you start when you start taking those those words of 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 hate towards you from your boss or your coworkers and and you you give back kindness and love when you take up a cross when you could have taken up arms. Jesus could have got the whole angel army to just come down and just nuke the whole thing. He was in his rights to do that. He was sinless, blameless. But he didn't. Because he knew his job wasn't to come and just rule, heal a few people 2,000 years ago in a fleshly body, sit on an earthly throne. He could have lived forever. He could still be here and there'd be a line a hundred miles to go see him. His purpose on a logistical scale, his, his, his role would be so much less effective if he had of 
done what he wanted. And he says what he wanted. He says, if there's any way out of this, God, let it be, please. But not my will, yours. He says that. Shows us that Jesus didn't actually really want to do what he was doing. But he did it anyway because he understood his purpose wasn't to do this thing that everyone else said he should be doing. Which was to come and rule and, 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 and destroy the tyranny of the Roman Empire. His job was to save everybody forever. So he understood he needed to be put in the ground. See, when you allow God to plant the seed, it'll grow into far more than what you and your tiny plan could have ever accomplished. See, when you walk with Jesus, and I'm going to close here, there's a cross, yes, and there's a death, but it's always followed by an empty tomb. A new portal to life. Because in the way of Jesus, death is always followed by resurrection. And maybe some of you guys here today have been a bit discouraged because you've been, you know, giving it everything you've got and you've been breaking down everything and still not quite hitting it, still failing. Maybe you've got dreams that you were so, so excited about and then you watched them die right in front of you and get put in the ground. But I just want to let you know today that that's the best thing that could have happened to you. That's exactly where God wants you. And God has a plan for, for your failure and that, that we should all, as, as James said, rejoice because it means that something bigger is coming. Sure, you had a seed. You had a dream. But when you give that seed to God and you let it die, and be put in the ground, God's going to grow that tree. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anyone in here that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know this person that I've been talking about, I want to give you an opportunity today to, to participate in this incredible journey. Jesus loves you. And he's not just some person we talk about who lived 2,000 years ago and had some good things to say. He's alive. He's resurrected. And he wants to know you personally. And let me tell you something. You want him in your boat. So if there's anyone here that, that wants to accept Jesus into their lives today, I just want you to, I want to invite you to, to repeat after me. I'm going to ask everyone to repeat after me right now. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for thinking of me on that cross. Lord, I accept your free gift. And I repent of of my sins. I follow you. I love you. And I accept your love for me. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Hey, I'm going to ask everyone to stand on their feet. I think we're going to, are we going to close in a song? Is that how this works? I don't have the run sheet, so I don't know. This is all free game at this point. <laughs> all right, we're going to sing the beautiful name of Jesus because that's what this is really about. This is not really about uh, some pithy, tweetable message quotes or a good lesson. This is about a real relationship with the guy that we're singing about, who's Jesus. And I love that bridge. You have no rival. You have no equal. God has given us the victory, guys. He's given us the victory. He's given us the bow, and he's given us the arrows. And he's told us to point and go out that window and to shoot and to strike the ground. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song, and we're going to make a commitment this week and this year to not keep, to not stop striking. Does that sound good? We're going to keep striking until there's nothing left and then keep striking some more because God has promised us the victory already. It's already won and it's his victory and he's given it to us. So let's, let's go into this week with that revelation. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.